This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, I'm Roberta Blevins, and this is Life After MLM, a podcast where we work to end the stigma of failure in an industry systemically designed for you to fail. Join us as we dive into the real-life stories of survivors, experts, and advocates to debunk the common myths and fallacies of cults, scams, and multi-level marketing. Hey, Hunbots and Hunbros. We have an amazing episode today. I don't think I have ever laughed as hard as I laugh in this episode in any other episode we've done. Seriously, there were times where I was editing and I would pause it and I would have to message Kayla and I was like, I don't remember this episode being this funny. And she's like, it was so fun to edit. It is really a fantastic episode. We're talking about a heavy topic and on this show, if you don't laugh, you cry. And so there are a lot of jokes and we're going a little harder for purity culture this time. And don't worry, I have some episodes I've already recorded for the end of the year. Oh my God. You guys are going to be so excited because October, November, December, double episodes are coming up. And I have been working so hard to get some of my favorite people to interview and some really interesting topics that I was like, oh my gosh, yes, let's make an episode on that. That would be perfect for the end of the year. So even though this episode isn't technically in that, it fits so good. And it is a really great like episode to start segueing into the end of the year. Can you believe it's almost the end of the year? I can't. It's wild. It's wild that this is my third year doing this like double episodes every single year. I'm like, yeah, I'm so excited. And then in January, I'm like, wow, I don't know if I'm ever going to do that again. It is so much work, but it is so much fun. And I'm really, really excited that it's coming up. If you thought the interviews I had last year were great, like, oh, I can't even. I can't even. You are going to be so excited. <laughs> so stay tuned. It is really going to be, I don't know how I'm going to top it next year is the problem. But this episode, we do talk about purity culture and we are diving deeper into the sexuality question. Uh, we referenced Pastor Rob's episode. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, it is a great episode to sort of start talking about this purity culture stuff and really breaking it down from a biblical aspect and from a theological place versus like opinions. It's you guys know we've worked toward this episode here with Sam today all year. And the fact that we are able to open this conversation and have it so easily is a testament to every single episode this year that helped lead up to this conversation. I get on a lot of soapboxes. I get not irrationally upset, but 
you know, a little angry. Purity culture is something that even though I wasn't steeped in it, I was dipped in it a lot, like a little biscotti, like a little cookie or something. So more of my own, oh my God, moments come up. I don't want to spoil it for you. But not only is this episode really great, it it's going to open up a lot of conversations that I've already had that you guys don't even know about that'll be coming. I, there's a method to my madness. Seems to be working pretty okay. And we're going to have this really difficult conversation. But again, I do want to give sort of that content warning to anybody who's listening to this and going, oh, yeah, this is not the episode for me today. Listen to your favorite episode and come back to this when you can. Other than that, I want to say welcome to our newest Patreon members, Aaron Denard and Laura Worthington and Laura. Really quick, this is really cool. And another one of the things that I didn't ever expect, but like still happened, Laura makes fonts, like really cool fonts. And she's a fan of the show. And I randomly use a lot of her fonts in my Instagram title posts. And one day she reached out and she was like, oh my gosh, that's my font. I made that. And I'm like, oh Ed's Market is one of my favorite fonts. So it's just the world is small. And I'm just I'm so happy that we connected. And uh, welcome to the Patreon, the both of you, Aaron and Laura. I'm so excited for you to peek around and see what we've got. We have more stuff coming up for the end of the year. We're going to have some some exclusive live chats with some of our guests and some other guests that sort of like mix in. It is going to be a really good time. So if you were thinking, hmm, I kind of want to check out the Patreon come and check it out. We are doing some revamps. We have other stuff going on. Like I said, um, in previous housekeepings that we're working on a website, Michelle is helping me build this website. We're building a discord. We're going to have an AI hun bot that welcomes everybody to the discord. You guys have no idea how much cool stuff is coming. And I'm so excited. We're going to try to get this all rolled out in these next three months. It's a lot. So we're working really hard. I have an incredible, dedicated team of people that is helping me. We're going to get that website up. You guys are going to be able to really see everything that we do on the back end. I am so excited about the trajectory of this podcast and where it's going and where it's been and how we're all there together. And I'm just telling you, we've got a fabulous end to 2023. And I am so excited that we're all going to be on that journey together. Have a wonderful day. Enjoy this podcast. Seriously, you are going to laugh. So don't feel bad when you are literally laughing out loud and going, oh my God, I feel really bad laughing about this. It's okay. Laugh with us. It's cathartic. I promise. Enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of Life After MLM. We are going to get into purity culture a little deeper today. I'm really excited about talking about all these topics. Learning about purity culture has taught me so much about myself that I didn't even know I had to learn. And I'm really excited to introduce to you guys the guest for today. Sam, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm so excited to be here and just share my story, but also be a part of a podcast now that I've been listening to, you know, for at least a year now. And so getting to be a part of this is great, but also sharing my story to put it out there. I love that. I'm so happy that you're a fan and that you listen. It's really cool to be able to connect with people who 
like get it you know what I mean Mm -hmm. absolutely (laughs) sometimes I get people that I talk to who don't like know anything about the show because it's like a specific (laughs) topic I want to talk about yeah and so being able to talk to somebody who has been following along is really awesome and super surreal and humbling at the same time so I thank you for being a fan it means like I'm blushing like it means so much (laughs) we're going to talk about purity culture you reached out to me after Kendall's episode about purity culture and you're like I have more to add and that's the reason I put out this call to action so I'm just really interested in your story what you told me in your email and what we're going to get into today we're going to be talking about sexuality and purity culture so those are your triggers those are tough for you we'll see you next week (laughs) (laughs) otherwise Sam go ahead and take it away and tell us your story yeah so I grew up in a small small city, large town in Ohio, and from the time I was born, Christian family. I don't necessarily think we had a denomination like from the start that I could remember, but when we, my sister and I, when we were old enough to be going to church and being aware, we were in a big non-denominational church, and basically we were a part of that doing the regular things church on sunday my mom was part of worship team i would help out with the younger kids when i was getting to a point of being you know older and could sort of be a leader and that was like my christian upbringing for a really long time i didn't have an understanding of what it meant to have like a denomination i was so used to non-denominational that when i'd hear people talk about being lutheran i'd be like what is that are you a christian because <laughs> i had no idea <laughs> And it was really interesting to be a part of that church. Ironically, I just finished the podcast about the Hillsong Church or the (laughs) documentary about it. And that's been like a big awakening, but I didn't even completely grow up in that church. I only went for basically seven years of my childhood because my family and I moved to Europe for six months and while we were there, the church decided that because we'd been gone long enough, we could no longer be members. So we had to take classes again if we came back in order to be official members of the church. And my parents were like, why? This doesn't make sense. So we started going to a Methodist church. I think, my, at least according to my parents, it was for specifically me because they wanted me to be feeling like I was a part of the church. And I had a ton of friends who went to this church. Okay. And they... I think they were both, we don't care where we go as long as we're going on Sunday mornings and our kids can feel like they are they can go. Right. I mean, that makes sense, yeah. right? Like we're looking for a church where we feel comfortable, where we're just going to show up on Sunday. We're going to worship. We're going to come home. We're going to live our life. That sounds like a majority of people in the United States looking for church. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing was my parents always for them had a very personal relationship. So it didn't matter where we went on Sundays because everything else throughout our lives was going to be, you know, the Christian background. And that led into, I think I was in fourth grade, my mom and a couple of other church women who had kids around the same age decided to have their daughters be a part of a Bible study, which if I had known what I know now, I would have had so many red flags for. So I was either fourth or fifth grade, so 10 or 11. And my sister was two years younger and she was the youngest of the group. It was one year older than me, a couple people my age and my sister. And the Bible study ended up being a intro to purity culture <laughs> for young children. Oh God! And we read this now infamous book, I guess, among purity culture circles. And I'm still learning. I follow several people on like TikTok and Instagram who kind of dive into 
coming away from purity culture. And this is like one of those hidden books that not a lot of people know about, but if you know, you know, and it's called the princess and the kiss. And basically (laughs) describes the idea that this princess has this kiss that she's trying to save for the prince that will one day be her husband. And it's written to have kids understand, but the issue is it's a metaphorical book. So I actually had no idea until we took basically like the junior high sex ed class. And then I talked to my mom and dad like a little bit before that, just like they'd already kind of explained sex to me, but it was like, again, my parents don't like talking about that type of stuff. You know, it was like, we can't talk about that. So it was by the time I got basically to being an eighth grader that I remembered back to that Bible study. And I just looked at my mom and went, does it not mean saving your first kiss? And she's like, well, I mean, you can do that, but you know, it's referencing sex. I went through an entire six month period of this book and I took it literally because it's a metaphor. It's supposed to be something that parents can explain. But I think because so much of sex, particularly in, I think the Christian community is taboo. It was not obvious to me. And so I went basically four years of my childhood And I'm not kidding. I saved or tried to save my first kiss from a wedding day. I almost did the whole Duggar situation until my first boyfriend between eighth grade and freshman year kind of said, you know, it's not a big deal to like kiss someone else. Right. And I kind of had this like, not epiphany, but like, oh, is that what the book? That's not what the book is talking about moment. (laughs) So I've had purity culture basically in my face since about the time I was 10 years old. And so it was the first aspect of me wondering, wait a second, why, like, why are we not talking about this? Why wasn't it just something that we, you know, explain, hey, you know, it's important to do these things instead of using this princess metaphor. (laughs) Right? It's like, let's make it more consumable for children to understand. It's just, it's so strange. And it's, I think it's funny. I have an education background. That was what my master's was in. And one of the things that's talked about in there is that books should really be showing if it's talking about humans and emotion and anything to do with like being a human, it should show humans. But there's a really large percentage of books out there for kids that show things with animals, with made up characters like dragons or unicorns, because they think it helps kids, you know, understand, which in theory, that's not a problem. But when that's the majority of what you see, kids can get really confused when it happens to really be about, you know, deep, dark emotions, things that they might have experienced, like abuse. They, you know, they say if there's a book out there for kids to see themselves, it's the mirror versus the window. Both should be with humans if it's really important. You know, it's fine to have those fun stories about the princess who gets saved or the unicorn, but Ultimately, if it's important information, that should be coming from an aspect of more truth. And so to having that... That's an incredible point. Yeah. And having witnessed it from like a child and then having that confused... Like, honestly, people were making like slight jokes about it. Like when I was in eighth grade and freshman year, because they were like, oh, wait, you're saving your first kiss? Like, why? And then I would explain and they're like, oh, okay. Like, but just look at me kind of strange because once I explained the book, I think they all got it. But I... And I'm a very literal person sometimes, so I think that was also challenging. And I think my mom was also afraid to really have those conversations with me and my sister. And so she thought this would be the best way to come about that. Yes, like doing these little things that they're cutesy and they're for kids and it's a kid's book and I'll just leave it on their bed and they'll find it. Uh, (laughs) It's just such a weird way to breach like excruciatingly important things, right? It's not like... yeah. 
is chocolate do you prefer dark or milk like it's not like here's a pamphlet from nestle it's like this is something that leads to procreation leads to yes the population growing leads to the progeny yes. of the world everybody here well at least your parents had done it at this point the majority of people that you are around yeah have experienced like it's wild to make it this like cutesy allegory about a princess saving her first kiss like putting like human characteristics into these books for these important things makes complete sense to me because it's being able to see yourself mm -hmm. it's not like oh look at this cute bear yeah it's oh my gosh yes i can relate to this like i've actually experienced this and then you wonder why aren't these books like why aren't they showing humans in some of these books is it because of this indoctrination and this cutesiness of purity culture to keep everybody pure and sweet until their wedding night or whatever. Yep. I remember one thing. There was this show. I can't remember what it was called. Maybe Saving Myself for Marriage. One of those like TLC Duggar family shows. And it was this. I didn't watch it, but I saw like the talk soup recap the next day kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And it was this couple who was getting married and they were having their very first kiss. And it was the most awkward, cringy, mm. like they were like licking each other's tongues like, mwah, mwah, mwah. and I'm just like, this is why you don't save your first kiss for when all of your friends are watching. Like, this is why. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen uh, someone put together, I think it was on TikTok, a combination of all of the Duggars' first kisses because oh they God. all save them. <laughs> and so they just put them right back to them. <laughs> Oh my god. It's and as it's just as someone who now saw that, it's like I feel like it gets so much pressure out of the way and it's not even that big of a deal. Like in the scheme of purity, in the scheme of sexuality, a kiss is so so low on the totem pole. <laughs> like I don't I was it was funny, but I also made me kind of, you know, reevaluate like wow, I thought that. I thought I wanted that for so long. Right. You look back and you go, that's what I was, what? <laughs> okay. Like, you know what I mean? Yep. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Continue. Yeah. So, I mean, that was my introduction to purity culture was that book. Because again, I think my parents explained some things like there was an infamous moment in high school. We grew up not calling specific parts of the body their actual name. That was like my home. And so yeah. we had, our butt was a popo. <laughs> And I didn't know that, that was referring to the police until I was like a 17 year old. Oh my God. And so I talked about it one day and I was like, oh yeah, we called, we, you know, we called our butt the popo. And someone was like, you realize that means like the cops. And I was like, really? And they're like, yeah, popo police. And so now as an adult, anytime I hear it, it makes me laugh because that's what we called our butts. Oh like that God. was not, we didn't use the terms for a very long time. But like, butt isn't even bad. <laughs> No. And it's like, looking back, there are so many worse things, but that was what I remembered specifically. It was like some of the terms we used and Popo was very specific. Popo's so funny. <laughs> Not like booty or, you know, bum, bum or bottom yep. or like any of the other yes. totally normal butt slang terms that are totally kid friendly and not Popo. Popo. <laughs> oh my mm. God. <sighs> yeah. Okay. So as you're creating this picture of my childhood, that's that adds to that. So the church that we went to, the Methodist church, I think most Methodist churches prior to the 
split that happened a couple years ago did confirmation for eighth graders. And so the idea is like, instead of traditional Sunday school, eighth grade specifically, if you sign up and say, I want to be part of this, you basically spend like a school year's worth of time going through a little bit more deep into like what it would be like to be a member of the church because they signify like that 13, 14 year old age is like a good age to start learning about more in depth about the Methodist church. And so they have a couple retreats throughout the year that you can go to that are like weekends with all of the eighth graders together and talk about different things. Some of them are a little bit more fun. Some of them are serious and not specifically about purity culture, but this aspect of me getting emotionally scarred by things that I grew up in the church. I don't know if you've ever heard about it. There's a documentary film. I don't know what what line it's a documentary versus just telling a story, but The title is She Said Yes, and it's about the Columbine Massacre. The idea was one of the girls that got killed that day was asked, do you consider yourself a Christian or are you a Christian? As a gun was being pointed at her, and she said yes, and that's why she died. Because that was one of the things that they were wanting to, you know, see from the people that unfortunately were killed that day. And so we watched that documentary and I specifically remembered going up to one of our leaders that was at the retreat with us and just looked right at her and said, I don't think I'd be able to say yes. And I was crying tears for about an hour because everybody else was like, you know, it's a tearful documentary. You're sad. But everybody else was like, oh, yeah, you know. And I was like, no, I think if a gun was held to my head, I would say no. And I felt bad about that. I felt bad about valuing my life at the time as a 13, 14 year old higher than saying I was a Christian. Wow. It was looking back, I hadn't realized in the moment what that meant, but looking back, it was such an emotional weight that I didn't realize I'd had for a long time. And it started there. And yeah. So I remembered that thinking about back to like, what, you know, what purity culture stuff did I go through? I was like, well, that wasn't purity culture, but that was scarring. (laughs) You know, I tell my girls, I have two girls and I tell them, you know what? If you ever find yourself in a situation that is uncomfortable, you lie through your teeth till you're safe. Mm. You say whatever you need to say. Wow. You do whatever. Oh yes. Sure. Yeah, of course. That sounds nice. You act, you get, you figure it out and you get to safety Ah. because whatever yeah like someone's pointing a gun in your face and they're like i'm gonna kill you if you say yes what do you say and you're like i say no and they're like okay moving on like i don't understand how valuing your own life and the repercussions of the ripple of that happening like it's just it's so obnoxious that thinking that this girl dying and then the ripple effect of everyone in her life having to mourn this and columbine and everything that's come since it's just it's so gross yeah And so manipulative. And I think that gets at some of the pieces of why purity culture, just Christianity in general, but also MLM stuff, (laughs) it gets at the, that gets at the heart of it, which is if you feel like you have to do something else based on what someone else has put pressure on you to do, well, of course you're like, if when I'm surrounded by 20 other eighth graders and five other adult leaders saying, isn't it important to say yes to being a Christian? Why would I say no in that moment? But like when you're pressured and you feel this weight of someone else making decisions for you or saying how important that decision is, it's hard to say no. And so that I think seed starts getting planted in things like purity culture. When someone says, hey, how important is it that you save your body 
for this future husband, many of which when we're told in as seventh and eighth graders don't exist in our minds yet because we haven't even met our future husbands. You know, it's like, that's, I think that's the seed. I think that one of them, obviously there can be many that get planted about the pressure and the weight that people can feel. And I think I was probably a little bit more subject to it because I've just naturally been a more emotional person basically my whole life. And so I would feel guilt. I would feel shame and I wouldn't be afraid to admit that because I just was like, why would I hide my feelings? And so, you know, things like that, I think were the building blocks for my purity culture. Let's use the Jenga metaphor before (laughs) eventually the past two years, I've been pulling them out and then they've tumbled because I realized how faulty that foundation was. Absolutely. Ironically, I, as I was saying the thing about the eighth grade learning your husband, I did meet my husband when I was a seventh grader. We did not start dating until I was a freshman. He was a sophomore, but I thought about it. And I was like, well, I guess I did know my husband. I didn't, I was not dating him at that point. I met my ex-husband in fifth grade. <laughs> we didn't get married. <laughs> we didn't get married until like, you know, 20 years later or whatever, but yeah. 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 If that's the building block, I think the next one was I realized talking with you and figuring out what I wanted to talk about on this podcast, I realized every Bible study I had while I was in high school was all looking at personal written book, not a book of the Bible, which looking back, that's so weird. Like, why did we have Bible studies that didn't actually look at, like they referenced it, right? but they didn't actually, like no one was like, we're going to go through James. We're going to go through Romans. That was when I went to college and was in a campus ministry. So every book I had done basically as a Bible study between being an eighth grader and graduating had something to do with women, purity, or some form of like struggle that women go through or girls go through. And so they were technical virgin, also called how far is too far. Oh my God. Lies young women believe, which is a really famous one. Battlefield of the mind, which technically is a, like a genderless book. It's not technically like you can read it as either. It's not focused on women, but the idea is all about like Satan's battle with your head and what you're going to see out in the world versus what's really true, you know, in the church. And then the truth about guys, which is written by a guy who has created other books. But the like big thing was if people have ever heard like the men's brains are waffles and women are spaghetti, he was the creator of that idea. And so we read the teenage version of that book. And so those were the ones I remember and went through. And they were all to do with either purity culture or like struggles of women, but not in terms of like, hey, what is it like to be a woman of faith? And what do we go through? And let's look at examples in the Bible. It was... Let's look at what you offer to a future male and why you need to protect yourself. I was like, you're having Bible book club. You're not even reading the Bible. You're reading other books and then being like, see, that's true because it says it in the Bible here. Yeah. And using the Bible as like a statistical reference guide to these fictional books. Yes. And they all reference pieces and we'll say, well, that's why, you know, we're based in faith because we say, you know, here's what Roman says and here's what Matthew says. But the only time we technically ever went through books of the Bible was at Sunday school. And even then, like we, we watched the left behind series in (laughs) Sunday school. If that says anything about, you know, my time and that was fun. Yeah. One of the things that I experienced from a younger age was also always experiencing purity from at least from leadership in the church, it was always focused on girls. And so we did have Bible studies for the men and the young men in our church, but 
a lot of young men would not attend. And a lot of times they would tell us like, oh, well, you know, they're just, we couldn't get a schedule together when they were all available. <laughs> okay, but that's just a reason why not to have it. Well, somehow they were able to do it with all the girls, but the boys couldn't get their shit together. Yeah, somehow all of our schedules could work. And so from an early age, it was like, oh, we're reading, you know, Technical Virgin. We're reading The Truth About Guys. And they're maybe reading a book, maybe. But even then, they weren't really having Bible studies about purity culture. And the discussion was always more focused on us. And it's looking back, it's like so many times it was creating this sense of like, it's our responsibility, mm-hmm. only ours. Right. And <laughs> it takes two people consensually to have sex. So why it was never an equal focus as an adult, it, I questioned so many times why. Like specifically, I looked back because I had not looked at this book in a while, but Technical Virgin was a really big foundation mentally for me for so long. One of the chapters is called Female Porn and You. And I remembered thinking back going, I don't think they actually talked about porn. I reread some of the chapter just this past week and it's all... <laughs> what they consider could be female porn, romantic comedies, chick flicks, love songs written by popular artists. It's not actually porn. Unlike what they were telling us is out there and they were, would always focus on the guys. They were saying that this could be our porn. And I'm like, so what we can't supposedly watch gets, well, not just porn, but we can't watch romantic comedies without it being a stumbling block. We can't watch or listen to Taylor Swift love songs without it possibly creating in this this sense of like, oh, it's porn for you. Well, then what can we watch? What can we, what media can we take in at this point? If you're not even telling us like porn's a thing for us, it's, it, do you understand what I'm saying? Oh, I do. (laughs) My jaw's on the floor. Let me just pick it up really quick. So it's just, it's, oh my God, I'm so angry. Head over to quince.com and grab yourself a little something something and support the show by supporting our sponsors. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and say hello to lightweight fabrics and classic styles. I have been taking advantage of the beautiful weather and getting outside for daily walks, and I cannot say enough good things about the Flow Knit High Rise Boyfriend Jogger from Quince. Seriously, running errands, doing school pickups, swinging by the farmer's market, or taking Jaja for a stroll around the lake, these bad boys are versatile. I love the deep pockets, the high waistband, and the internal hidden drawstring. They're quick drying, moisture wicking, antimicrobial, and the four-way stretch makes them so comfortable. They're made with 88% recycled polyester, and the Global Style Standard Certified Yarn dramatically lowers environmental impact by diverting landfill and ocean-bound plastic. Not to mention using recycled claims standard-approved dyeing, washing, and manufacturing processes with low water and eco-friendly dyes. They have become an absolute favorite, and you can save up to 59% off the high-end counterpart by shopping with Quince. Throw on a cotton modal scoop neck tee and some sneakers, and you've got a perfect effortless outfit. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash MLM for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash MLM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash MLM. Do you ever wonder how much of your personal data is out there on the internet just for anyone to find? I promise it's more than you think. 
your name, contact info, social security number, home address, even information about your family members. It's all being compiled by data brokers and openly sold online. This can lead to a lot of problems, including identity theft, phishing attempts, harassment, and unwanted spam calls. But now you can protect your privacy with Delete Me. Signing up for the service is super easy. Just provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. They send you regular, personalized privacy reports showing what info they found, where they found it, and what they removed. I got my report, and I was floored with the results. Of the 105 data brokers they checked, 83 of them had my data. Delete Me then removed 173 listings of my personal data off the internet. And they make sure that it stays off too. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me at a special discount just for our listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and use promo code MLM at checkout. The only way to get the 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and enter code MLM at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash MLM code MLM. That like porn for young girls, okay, is an idealistic romance, which basically forces the men to be more than lumps on logs. Yeah. You should date your wife, your girlfriend, your partner. You should buy them flowers. You should tell them they're pretty. You should take them dancing. You should take them to nice dinners. You should chase after them and, and make them feel like all of the things that you hear in Taylor Swift songs about romance and love songs and the idealistic one day yep you know this is what i want apparently that's nasty negative porn that little girls should not be listening to because we can't ever let them know there's something better than the bullshit we've crafted here they're setting us up in the book as if that's unrealistic expectations to have on a man to like be a friend well well, yeah when you don't give the boys any romance guide at all and then you tell the women don't watch it it's not (laughs) realistic okay i mean there's a ton of people listening right now that have incredible romantic partners and they're like what is happening here yeah and i think it was strange now as an adult looking at that book some of the examples would be like putting the bar so low. Yes. And I was like, how is that setting unrealistic expectations when there's so much more opportunity for a partner to do something for you? I mean, the examples of being like a Taylor Swift song. Well, Taylor Swift songs aren't talking about the perfect man. They're just talking about a man. You know, it was like, how can we set the bar so low and say that bar is too high? Right. Right. And that has blown my mind looking back. Because, again, when I'm reading that book as a 14, 15-year-old, I'm kind of, again, being like, oh, okay, shame. Okay, I shouldn't be watching these movies trying to see, like, oh, is this a good thing for a future husband to do? Like, yeah, it's rough. (laughs) I mean, really just remove the bar altogether. And they're just like, look, we've been training them that all of you are fucking idiots. So, Godspeed. You can literally do anything because we've convinced them that there's nothing better. That all of this stuff doesn't exist, even though for thousands and thousands of years, artists have been writing and singing about this, but it's not real. It's not real. It's all a fallacy. 
don't subscribe to it. Get yourself a basic ass dude who doesn't do anything and be happy and, you know, pop out a bunch of babies because that's what, you know, be fruitful and multiply, right? Yes. It's the whole right. concept of men. And I see this in comments sometimes. And I'm talking to these toxic men, okay? If you do this, stop. The men that are like, all you got to do is when your wife asks you to do the dishes, is just break them. And then she'll never ask you to do them again. And then you never got to do them again. Oh, my God. It's giving that. It's giving minimum effort yeah. possible and still, ugh, it's so gross. It's True love exists. Yeah. Passion exists. Yep. I found passion in relationships outside of purely culture relationships. Any relationship that I had with anybody that was very based in like some sort of religious upbringing was always fucking plain spaghetti. Okay. That's it. Like, I'm like, oh, another plate of plain spaghetti. What a fun day. <laughs> but people outside of that, people that can, like, yeah, just get out of it. And people that have their own identities and their own lives and make their own decisions, those are where I have found the most passionate, the most loving, the most giving, the most reciprocating yeah. of partners in my life. And I think this culture and this idea sets a lot of women up, not just women, there are men definitely in this type of situation, but particularly women, to almost think that like it's impossible or really hard to find someone better. And so when people go through abusive relationships or even just not abusive relationships, but maybe someone who's not even meeting expectations or giving back just a hundred percent of the same right. effort, I think it creates this idea, well, you'll never find anything better. You'll never find someone else that could be more of what you need and be the better person for you. Oh, it's so funny looking back. I had a purity ring and if someone had seen it and I would have explained it, it technically was my own idea. Looking back, it was definitely the pressure I felt. Mm -hmm. Well, if I have a purity ring, it'll look good right? It'll look, if anybody asks, I can explain what it is. It, it's something that I can show to the world. So yes, it might've been my own idea. My parents didn't give it to me, but it wasn't just a seed that was, that sprouted from nothing. There, there was a lot there that cultivated this idea of needing a purity ring. And it's so funny to look back because I, we're going to get a little real here, Roberta. I would take it off if I was making out with my boyfriend. I would feel so bad that I would take it off being like, well, it's fine because it's not on my finger. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. No, no one will know. I'll just put it back on when we're done. God was still watching, Sam. He was watching from your pocket. And it's funny, too, because I went through a purity retreat sometime in high school and I don't remember when but so my husband and I went to the same church this Methodist church growing up and that's kind of how we met but he was a year older than me so all I remember was that the purity treat happened to be while we were dating and so it wasn't a full weekend but it was basically enough of a time where they considered it like you were almost like graduating from this idea and so we had a I hesitate to use the word ceremony. We had this moment at the end of the retreat where my parents and anybody's parents who participated in this weekend would come and they would basically sign this document that said their child was going to save themselves for marriage. And 
in the moment, it did feel kind of awkward. I do remember having those moments of being like, my dad is signing a paper saying I'm never going to have sex until I get married. (laughs) So gross. Why is this happening? But again, everyone else is doing it, right? There were like 20 of us participating in this purity retreat. So why would I be the only one that participates and then doesn't have my parents sign it, right? And my parents, again, did not want to you know, put a lot out there. They were very private people. And so I think they were just like, oh, we're just, we're not going to talk about it. It's fine. We all know it's, we're going to sign this thing and it'll be fine because they, I think they didn't really want to have more discussions than that from a personal standpoint. So they're like, well, the church can do it. (laughs) We can have her participate in this thing. (laughs) We can have her participate in this weekend. That way we don't have to have these conversations with her as her parents because they felt like it was uncomfortable but like isn't that what public school sex ed class is for oh absolutely like so why are we trying to legislate out public education of sex ed and then send our kids to purity culture camp i mean i know the answer it was rhetorical but (laughs) well and i think my parents would have been one of those people that would say like well yeah that's just what you do right like your parent you know your kids go through a purity retreat and you know they say you know they promise us and they promise everybody else and make a declaration that they're never going to have sex before they get married. That's just what we do. Right. Because their awkward ass parents did the same thing to them. Yeah. Like, we'll just, they'll just figure it out. Yeah. Guess what? There's a reason that there's like tons of teen pregnancies and children that are given up for adoption and abortion because there isn't actual sex education. Yeah. I see things. Like the, like even the song that Lubalin did where he does all like the, am I pregnant? And it's like, <laughs> can I be pregnant? Like, yes, people are actually asking these questions. Right. Like these are actual people who have hopefully gone through at least something where they should know a little bit of something and they're asking these questions. And so then I think, were they absent that day? Did they not pay attention? Or most likely, are we just doing massive disservices yeah. to our children and youth? Yeah. The big thing in Christian circles, and not just Christian circles, but that's the experience I come from, is if we don't talk about it, it won't happen. And that's just not true. There's science behind that. There have been so many studies that say if you don't talk about it, it doesn't mean it's not happening. It usually happens worse to an extent, either pregnancy or disease or, I mean, even just emotional shame and confusion about it. But that's this idea that if we don't talk about it, if we don't expose the truth, then no one will find out. And that's just not the case, I think, for many people. So I am probably, unfortunately, in the minority. I was one of those people that for years, I'm told, don't have sex. Don't do it. Don't do anything close to it because, you know, If you start making out, you'll never be able to stop, right? The gateway. Yeah. I was hearing this message for so long. I was one of probably the few that was like, well, no, I can't. I didn't want to experiment and I didn't want to, you know, it's like when someone says you can't have the cookie and then you want the cookie. I was one of those Mm -hmm. people that was like, okay, I won't have the cookie. And so, you know, looking back, I am in the minority and I think my parents probably took advantage of that of thinking and knowing enough about my personality that they're like, well, if we just tell her not to, and she feels enough shame, then she won't. And she's a good kid. And I can say my husband and I did not have sex until we were married. We did quite a few things up and before it, because of course we were going to experiment whether or not that happened. But we both had parents. I think that fortunately enough trusted both of us knowing that we both came from the same church that they were like, well, we know you won't do anything. Right. 
so it put that pressure, it put that idea that like they, they think that we're good people. So of course we can't defy them. We can't make them disappointed in us. I mean, but this is the same purity culture that invented soaking, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, basically, yes. I'm, I didn't come from the Mormon faith where that's a little bit more right. of a thing. But yes, it's that same idea. I heard stories from my Christian friends, and this is no shame anywhere, but this is just an interesting perspective that I heard where I was like, I'm sorry, what did you just say? Yeah. They said, oh, we would just do it in the butt because it's not, you're not losing your virginity that way. And I was like, yeah. okay, did you fully just say it? Okay, no shame. Yeah. But I was like, all right. So because you're vilifying sex, your children are having anal sex instead. Yes. And that's, I think, what that technical virgin really highlights as an adult is like they were basically saying any genital touching anything is sex. But also there's literally a chapter called losing your emotional virginity. Have you given too much of your heart away? Like they they put so much <sighs> emphasis on every single aspect of sex to be like, don't do it, that you feel like you can't do anything or you've done it. But it's LGBTQ that's sexualizing children, right? Yeah. Oh, of course. Okay. Okay. All right. I just want to, I just, I mean, there's so many contradictions here. Like we could just talk yeah. about the contradictions right? all day. It's like, they want you to know nothing about sex because they don't want you to do it, but they want you to have as many babies as possible. Yes. And I'm like, do you understand how those two things kind of connect a little? I, I oh, actually, there's a connection there. <laughs> I had a conversation as a engaged person on the summer, basically a year before I got married with someone who'd been in the church but she's a lot older than me. She's part of this big family. And she honestly surprised me because she's a little bit more conservative. But in that moment, we were just talking about stuff. It was the morning of a friend's, friend of mine's wedding. And she said, I don't understand how they expect you to say, don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex. And then one day it magically goes away and you can do it. How are you expecting people to one, be successful, but two, not to have issues? Because if you're told for so long that you can't, and then it's all of a sudden the door is open. Well, how is that going to feel for a lot of people emotionally? And I think that is where this line of, and I guess I can, you know, say it, getting up to, uh, leading up to, which is I came out last summer as asexual. And congratulations. Thank you. This is the first time I've said it probably for more than two people. <laughs> My closest <laughs> friends know. Yes, thank you. My closest friends know, but this is the first time, you know, I'm willing to, you know, come forward and say it. And I think it's one of those things that unfortunately in the Christian church, but even just, I think in society in general, we just view sexuality as this taboo, awful, how could you mentality. And I think looking at my childhood and looking at my purity culture growing up experience, I can't tell you right now if how I feel being asexual comes from my purity culture or if that's just how I always was. And I'm not saying that sexuality is a choice. It's more of I can't tell you because of how big of a cloud purity culture was over my life for so long. If I was really able to say that's not the reason because you know, I didn't do it for how many years? And all of a sudden I was told, oh yeah, but just do it all the time. And like you pointed out, the Bible says procreate, says, you know, be fruitful and multiply. And I had always had that question of like, well, do I want to have kids? Like, I don't know, but that's how you do it. Right. And so if I don't feel like doing it, does that mean I'm not a good Christian? Cause I don't want to have kids. Like there were so many questions that led to this, how I feel now. And right. 
yeah, it's been an interesting journey since last year of figuring out this is how I felt. Well, it's a very interesting thing to to mention, like being child free by choice and going, am I a bad Christian? But also at the same time, what about people that have infertility issues or people that can't have children? Yes. How are they feeling? Because the Bible, the thing that they have literally followed their entire life, they saved themselves, they found the person, they committed to the whole thing. You know, like you said, the switch flips, don't sex, do it all the time now. You can do it. Go run. Yes. The race is on. Yep. And you're like, okay, uh, I don't even know if I like this. I, I don't even know if I'm into this. I don't even know if I want kids. I don't even know if I can, can have kids. Like, it's just, it's such, it's, again, it's a disservice. Yep. And it's so strange to be so concerned about that one thing that literally only affects the people in that decision. Yes. And I think that's one of the things as someone who's now been in a committed relationship for so long, I look back and feel the uncomfortableness from my own memories of being like, wait a second, someone else was caring about my body more than I was. Right. Someone else cared more about me and valued me more for my, you know, elusive virginity than me as a person, my personality. Yeah. That's more important. Right. They were more interested in your popo than your life <laughs> you know what i mean ah, that good callback yes <laughs> like yes just, exactly why are you so obsessed with my popo like move on yeah think about your own popo and what you're doing there like <laughs> and i think that gets to you know can open up some deep discussions about why the church is so obsessed with children specifically and children's sexuality and purity because that means that someone else even if it's not in your own family is having discussions with children you're if you're a parent out there and having a kid in you know the christian faith someone else is going to be having a conversation with them about sex about staying pure and whether or not you completely 100 percent agree with it it's someone over the age of 18 talking with someone under the age of 18 about their body in a non-healthy and completely open and honest, you know, opportunity. It's just, <laughs> it's wild. I had a conversation with somebody the other day and I just, I sort of just had to like Homer Simpson fade into the bushes because I knew <laughs> that it wasn't going to end well if I continued to stand my ground. Mm. about what is actually happening in sex ed classes and what is actually being taught right. at story times and what is actually going down in the LGBTQ community or the drag community. And I was just like, I cannot believe I'm having a conversation about this right now. And it's not even an agree yeah. to disagree situation. But in that situation, like I said, you, you tell the person in front of you whatever they need to hear so that you can remove yourself yep. from the situation. And that's what I did. I was like, okay. Yeah. And I think looking back as an educator, especially so much of sex ed for a really long time for children's development is just based on consent and their own body. Mm -hmm. We're not even talking about sex at that point. Sex ed means, hey, you have an opportunity to tell someone else that you don't want something. So simple as a hug, right? That's something that's been coming up in preschool education recently is this idea that like we should be asking kids, do you want a hug? Mm -hmm. Right. And not just going in for one. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. 
Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. consent and that is sex ed but the sex ed label makes a lot of parents a lot of the christian community a lot of christian leaders scared because they just assume oh sex ed means we're teaching five-year-olds how to have sex with each other and that's not the case but it leads to more issues ultimately when we can't have simple conversations like consent with six and seven-year-olds and saying hey it's okay if someone wants a hug at a family reunion you can say no right and that's okay but for a long time, that idea, well, give your aunt a hug. Oh, God. That's just a foundation for saying, hey, how, let's have start having conversations about your own body and then how your body is going to interact with someone else's in the future. I mean, that's even so triggering because I come from a, a humongous family that likes to kiss people on the lips, which is so gross to me. I'm like, no, Ugh. I hate it. And I still have elder relatives who think that what I want more than anything in the world is to be grabbed and hugged and squeezed and kissed by them. And I don't want that at all. And I don't know how to say no, thank you. And so I just have learned to just sort of like turtle shell. I'm like, oink, and I just sort of go, oh, and they just sort of turn because I've had to learn behaviors to make the other people in my life comfortable as opposed to making myself comfortable. I've masked that so much of my life. Roberta, you just explained the bikini situation for any 13-year-old. They're told to cover up their body so that men and boys around them won't have impure thoughts. It's their opportunity and their responsibility to make sure that someone else doesn't think improperly. Right. Isn't that wild? Isn't that wild? Imagine if the tables were flipped and we lived in a society where like beautiful Amazon women were the ones that were in charge and they were emasculating men and flicking them and poking them and yanking on them when they walked by and like imagine that scenario and how uncomfortable that makes you feel and then you're uh, like that's what women deal with we get catcalled we get yelled at I've yeah. been grabbed I was probably 16 or 17 years old walking through the mall I had a grown-ass man follow me through the mall and then right as I was about to leave he was like hey I just had to tell you you have amazing legs Tina Turner ain't got nothing on you. And I was like, I'm 17. That is mm. so gross. I know exactly where I was. I know exact mall I was. I know I just it's burned into my memory for the rest of my life. That yeah. some creepy ass dude followed me around the mall. That. I've had men follow me home yes. from the freeway. I've had men trap me in traffic and show me things in their car that I could not get away from. Yeah. I think every woman listening to this podcast right now has a moment in their time, in their life, when they can remember where and when they were, when some man, some person out there gave them some sort of energy, attention, anything that they did not want, and they were uncomfortable, and they will never forget that for the rest of their life. Never. Every single instance is seared into my brain forever. Every single one. And there has been multiple. And I know that I am not in the minority in this. Yeah. It's absolutely horrific. Yeah. 
So let's talk about being asexual, because I think there are people who don't know what that means. Growing up in the 90s, when you got to decide your sexuality, <laughs> there were two things. You were gay or straight. There was, that was it. Yeah. And if you were gay, you sort of fell into like lesbian or gay. And that was it. And there were not as many choices and nuances and spectrums as there are today. Mm -hmm. And so I think when we use terms like asexual or pansexual or any of these things that people are like, what does that mean? So can you explain to us what asexual means? Sure. Yeah. So I'm still learning. I've only begun this past year to do a self-reflection of how I feel. And so what I have learned and how I would define it for myself is I do not feel sexual attraction to anyone out there. It does not mean I do, like, it doesn't mean that I don't like people. It doesn't mean that I don't find people beautiful or handsome or attractive. It means that no part of me wants to have sex with any part of anyone out there. And it doesn't mean, and I think this is one of the things that people, even within the LGBTQ spectrum, kind of question, but particularly from people on the outside, it doesn't mean that we don't enjoy sex. Right. It doesn't mean that it doesn't feel good. It means that it's not innately part of our desire when we look at people. Okay. And so I think from my perspective, it really came home when I realized that so many of the important relationships in my life are based on emotional connection. Things being similarly in common. I mean, the reason my husband and I met was not necessarily I saw him and picked him out of a crowd and was like, you're handsome. It was we were both involved in similar things growing up. We both had similar ideas about life at that point. You know, I really loved having conversations with him and the emotional connection I felt. And ironically, the friend that helped me figure out that I was asexual came out as asexual probably eight months before I did. And we had conversations in high school about being, you know, when, so I'm in the I'm a millennial, I'm a mid millennial, and I'm the generation that was like, oh, Channing Tatum's so hot, oh, Ryan Gosling's amazing, and and my friend and I would look at each other and go, yeah, but but like abs are fine, but I'm not, I don't feel it, I don't, Channing Tatum's not lighting my fire, he's not getting me hot. It was like, but we didn't understand at that point what that would mean, and so it was so enjoyable to come through this experience having her kind of guide me in my feeling because. I remembered going, is that why we had that feeling back in, you know, sophomore, junior year of high school? Is that why we had that conversation? Because that's how we feel. And she'd be like, yeah, that's exactly why. <laughs> and so I think from a perspective of someone who has recently become part of the LGBTQ community, I, you know, I want to put it out there that one of the things that I will never take for granted and want to say is that unfortunately right now, a lot of LGBTQ rights and people are under attack. And I have to sit here and share my privilege, which is I personally am not someone whose rights are ever going to be personally attacked as an asexual person. Right. As a woman, that is a different story. <laughs> right. But I think it is important for me to say that just because I am a part of this community does not mean I'm going through the same things as someone else. And, you know, someone as, you know, as simple as saying, I'm not fighting for my rights in the Supreme Court. I'm not someone who someone's attacking and saying, you deserve to go to hell. And I think, unfortunately, that means that the asexual spectrum has kind of been so smoky and mysterious because it's not something that people are attacking. It's right. a lot, unfortunately, easier to say, you're gay, you're going to hell. You're a lesbian, you're going to hell. <laughs> you're asexual, I don't know what that means, but maybe you're going to hell. Yeah, you're definitely <laughs> going to hell, too. <laughs> <laughs> the A is there. 
That's the LGBTQIA <laughs> is there when they hold up those signs. IA, it's right yes. there, right? It's really interesting because we were talking about this earlier. I remember like having conversations with friends and asking them like, well, what percentage straight are you? <laughs> and they're like, 100? And I was like, really? Are you sure? Because I didn't have any language for the feelings that I had for, oh, they're cute. Oh, I like them. Oh, I wouldn't mind going on a date with them. Oh, I like them. I like the wine and not the label. Like, I don't, it's about connecting with someone for me. And I think that falls under like pansexual, bisexual and all of that stuff. But for me, there wasn't any language back then to be like, I like you for who you are, yeah. for what you bring to the table, for the way that you make me feel, the way that we vibe, the way that we connect. And if romantic things come into that, cool. If not, cool. But again, I'm the same way. Like I present as a straight, cis, white woman. Like my rights yeah. are not being taken away. Like no one's like, Roberta, you like too many kinds of people. Like, <laughs> like you don't get to live anymore. You know what I mean? Like that's not what's yep. happening to me. Like I can blend in anywhere yes. and no one is ever going to ever think anything unless i'm being like overtly open about it like you know what i mean like yes and i think some people would come into a conversation like this from just a point of not understanding and say why do you feel like you need the label then and from my perspective it's that it's like saying i like cheese or it's like saying that i am a woman in a lot of aspects it's just who I am. Right. So why would I deny myself a label that tells me personally how I feel and gives me joy, gives me understanding? As I said, having looked at a lot of my life from this new asexual lens, it puts a lot of things into perspective. And so I think just, it, you know, if anybody were to say, well, you're married, why, why does it matter that you are asexual? Because you have a husband. And I'd say, but that's not the point. Right. Your sexuality doesn't determine ultimately how you feel about a partner if you want a partner what your partner's going to look like it's how you feel and i think a lot of that is hidden and has unfortunately had a fog over it particularly in the world of the christian childhood the christian lifestyle for a lot of reasons but the main one they would claim is that it's not in the bible and i would say Look at all the things we have in life right now and tell me how many of those things are in the Bible. That's just not, we don't have computers. The computers were not in the Bible. We do not have about 700,000 species of animals that weren't in the Bible. Like, <laughs> right? it was not an end all be all book, but unfortunately, they use it to say, we don't belong. Right. You don't deserve to feel validated. You don't deserve happiness. And it's just wrong. Right. And like the label that I give myself is like, it gives you language to explain to your own brain, like what's going on, but it also gives me the freedom to be who I am. Yeah. And my life is not predicated on your opinion of me. You know, like I, I don't care. Yes. You don't like me. Don't like me. I don't care. Like doesn't no sweat <laughs> off my back. You know what I mean? I got, I got other things to do than to worry yeah. about that kind of stuff. It's just, it's really interesting with Christianity and here's this, you know, they've got a book for every issue. We've got <laughs> this sex is bad. It's only for your husband. Like if sex is so bad and sex is so taboo and sex is so, oh God, don't do it. What Explain Song of Songs. Yeah. Explain an entire book about the beauty and the passion and the love between people in an in intimate relationship. Right. Like, explain that. 
You're just going to not even talk about an entire book in your giant book? Like, you're just going to skip right over that and be like, that's not what they meant. They didn't mean it, that it was beautiful and pleasurable. That's not what they, like, come on. Like, if we're picking and choosing, we got the shellfish thing. We got, like, the mixed fabrics and the polyesters and the metal zippers and all the things that didn't exist during the Bible's writing that exist now that would technically be considered blasphemous and sinful. That isn't. Yeah. And it really bothers me because, again, this is not true Christianity. This is sex, sexy white Christian Jesus. This is yeah. not Christianity. Yeah. So I am not coming after somebody who truly comprehends this religion and truly lives their life to the best of their ability to live in the shadow of Jesus, like mm. to be like Jesus. Yeah. Right. To be a Christian the way a Christian is, which is why I've never wanted to be a Christian, because every time I'm like, oh, yeah, Christianity makes sense. And then I meet people in these really controlling denominations and i yeah. go ooh i don't want to be like that yeah. that's not what christianity is to me which is why i find christianity or my religion and my spirituality in nature in talking to people and having conversations in learning the nuances and being like you know what like maybe we wouldn't have been friends but we just had this really incredible conversation and i have a connection to you now mm. and you are my brother you are my sister even though we don't believe everything because how boring would that be? You don't believe everything that's exactly the same. But I respect your ability to have beliefs. Yeah. So could you do me solid and reciprocate that? Yeah. That's all. I think it's really interesting as someone who I was always a reader, but as someone who's gotten really into reading the past two years, the reason I deconstructed ultimately, ironically, was a Dan Brown book. <laughs> da Vinci Code. But oh, yeah. I was realizing that as a as a culture, almost the entire new aspect of the Bible that we know as all of us know it, basically since like the nineteen forties, has been created by humans and faulty humans and humans that had a lot of issues. Mm-hmm. And so I ultimately find it hard when I look at things like purity culture that was created because a man, 99% of them, white man, said, well, I think this is important and I think it should go in here. Yeah. I think this is something that we should dive into deeper. And so we're actually going to create more of this Bible and rewrite it so that it has this as the focus because someone decided that they wanted it to be the focus. Right. Well, we can't let women know that sex is fun and sex is, can be good <laughs> and beautiful. And we can't let women know that there are better options and that we can't let women know they can have sex with women, too. We don't want to let them know about that. That's Oof. sin. Don't do that. They'll never come back to the men. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just ridiculous. Despite that being what a lot of men want. Right. It's ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. Everything is a contradiction. The more that I look into this and the more that I go down the sexy white Christian (laughs) Jesus Christianity, the more I realize it's just another controlling force. Yes. And it started around the 1940s. Come back from World War II and they're like, we got to control these women. Because the women were doing everything at that point. Yeah, they were the ones that running the ship, literally and figuratively, and they were yeah, like, they're like, Wait, oh crap, <laughs> we don't want that. Wait, crap, the women can make money and do things, and like everything actually worked while we were all gone. That's bad. Yeah, that's bad. We need to change the narrative. Women are supposed to be home with the children. Yeah. Wow, it is very interesting. I wonder how many people are no longer going to listen to my podcast because of this episode. You know what? It's fine. I don't care, right? <laughs> oh, if I'm the crux of that, oh my goodness. I don't think you are. I think we talk <laughs> about worse things than this. And I think most oh. of the people that listen 
are either deconstructing themselves or they have these questions. And when we can talk about really heavy topics in a light way, yes. where we can make jokes and people know that we're not being offensive. We're making light of controlling systems. Yeah. Right? So I think it allows a lot of space for people to ask the small questions, which yeah. inevitably create the crack, let in the light. And then the big questions are like, hey, yes, yes. So, you know, I appreciate that. Yeah. And I think that ultimately is what your podcast is about, is these controlling aspects of our society for so long and individual experiences and individual stories that come from that. Because like you pointed out, if we all had the exact same experience, if we all had the exact same thoughts, it would be boring. (laughs) This podcast would have had one episode. And we're done. We're finished. <laughs> yeah, it's and the intersectionality of so many things, because what started off as my own journey of like, what is this MLM and like what happened led me down? Oh, this is kind of like church a little like there was church and there was this aspect and there was control here. Oh, and it was kind of like that. And oh, I did experience that, too. And mm. the more that we break down these systems and these patriarchal controlling entities, mm-hmm the more we see similarities and other things like MLM. Mm-hmm. We can talk about Christianity or any religion and or any cult or any <laughs> controlling thing. And you could remove the name. Yeah. And people would be like, are you guys talking about church or MLMs or <laughs> abusive relationships? Like, what are you guys talking about? Well, all we're talking about all of it because it's all together. It is all sewn together. It just fits and it nests so well and so these oppressive systems hide inside other oppressive systems and then use the fallacies of those oppressive systems to you know make excuses for why that what they're doing is okay yeah it's okay and i think ultimately you know someone might question and say well i didn't have that experience for example using purity, purity culture well that's not what my church did well that's not how that is okay and that doesn't mean that you had an oppressive purity culture growing up. It doesn't mean that you felt controlling, you know, systematic oppression from something. It just means that you didn't experience that. But right. to say that to that, that's, you know, that's the thing that's been the past couple of years. Well, that my church doesn't do that. My, I don't have that experience. Someone else does. And someone else might feel in a conversation like what we're having a space to be able to say and question, well, was that perfect? Was that the best thing for me growing up? Was that something maybe I should take a look at and question maybe, you know, is it involving myself or is it something that I need to deconstruct for myself and not negatively, you know, I, I'm not saying that, you know, there are, there might be some white man right now listening, going, well, I don't feel that way. That's okay. And that's great. But someone else did. And that affected individuals like me and stories like mine. I cannot imagine are in the minority, but you might not feel, you know, if you're listening out there, you might not feel like you can tell a story because you might feel like you're alone and you're not. Yeah, you're absolutely definitely not alone. This is like my favorite part of having a podcast is I say like every story that we tell is different, but when you break it down to just the bones, it's the same. Yeah. Somebody who was promised eternal happiness, decided to go all in, realized eternal happiness is a fallacy and is now deconstructing. And there are a lot of people that are deconstructing and they're figuring things out and it's opening up new questions. And you know what? You might be listening to this and you might be going, no, nah, not me. Nope. This wasn't like me. And three days from now, when you're still thinking about it and still going, that wasn't, I, you might go, well, you know what, actually, 
there was something kind of like that. And that's the crack, right? Mm. And you think about these conversations and just because you had a really great experience, it does not negate the horrible experiences and the horrible experiences don't negate the great experiences either. We're just sharing experiences because there are so many more people that reach out to me that say episode XYZ, I related. Oh my God, that was my story. Can I add something? Or I just wanted to tell you way more of those than I ever get. You're wrong. That's not true. You're a hater. I mean, I still get those, but (laughs) they're mostly comments on TikTok. They're not emails. Most of the people are connecting and going, thank you. Thank you for talking about this. Thank you for shedding light on this little corner of the world that I didn't think anybody else experienced. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And as long as I continue to get those messages from people, and as long as I continue to get emails from people like you, Sam, saying that episode, oh my gosh, I have a different side of it that goes right along with it, that adds another nuanced context to this. Can we speak? The answer will always be yes. I want to get, I, I wish I could post an episode every day. There's so many episodes. <laughs> There's so many people reaching out that I could. I just don't have the time to do that. Yeah. Even with hiring people and, and hiring help, it's still so much. And I appreciate it. And it's so wonderful to see. And it's this just amazing living thing that keeps growing and rolling and collecting like a giant Katamari ball. And I'm <laughs> all about it. Mm-hmm. And you know what? There are people that are like, you did too many religious episodes, or I don't like it when you talk about cults, or you get back to MLM or whatever. And Look, once I bring up a topic, (laughs) once it's out there, once we have the language and the education on a topic, it's going to come up again. And the next time it shows up, it might be a little heavier yeah, and it might be a little more shock inducing and it might be a little more triggering, but we're preparing you with each episode to be able to have these conversations, to be able to dive into these topics and then feel confident enough to have these conversations outside of your ear pods, right? Yeah. To, maybe at the holiday table when someone goes, blah, blah, blah. You're like, actually, I just listened to a podcast about this and I can add to this conversation. It's all about opening up the conversation because the darkness is where it all hides. Yeah. The questions aren't allowed in the darkness. The talking to other people, talking to the haters, talking to the opposition is not allowed in the darkness. It is a closed system of positivity and that's I'm proud of where the show has come because it wasn't really the intention. <laughs> and I'm just like, sure. Yeah. Okay. Let's just ride this into the sunset. I'm all about it. Right. Like wherever it goes is where it goes. And it has been just this really incredible experience. And I know like I'll get off. My, I've been on a lot of soapbox on this episode so far, but <laughs> like, I just, I am so honored that I have people who reach out to me and say, I want to talk to you about this. Like, let's create an episode. It's just, it's such a beautiful thing. And I just, I wanted to say thank you again to you yeah, for starting this conversation. Yeah. And I think ultimately, you know, the reason I followed you was I saw some TikTok of you or Instagram. And then I saw the documentary because I love hearing stories of documentaries. And I saw Lula Rich and I was like, wow, this person is so honest, so real. I want to hear from her. So I started listening to your podcast episodes and I don't listen to everyone because unfortunately I have not experienced every MLM. And sometimes I just, it won't be something that I can relate to, but I've listened to more of your MLM and cult episodes than I have the other ones. Because I think even hearing those types of stories, it can be something that plants a seed in me for someone who was not involved ultimately personally in MLMs. But I can say, Hey, like someone reached out about six months ago and said, I'm going to be involved in, I won't name the name, but a 
they didn't say MLM, but it was an MLM. And I said, Hey, if you are loving this and you want to do it, I'm proud of you. You know, I'll support you from the sidelines as a cheerleader, but I'm personally not going to support MLMs because it's not something I agree with. And there's a lot of unfortunate circumstances that surround MLMs and I don't want to support it. It was a conversation with a friend and I think it was an okay conversation because we were both coming at it with saying, hey, I'm not saying how dare you join an MLM. I'm saying I personally don't want to see it. And I took your information and some of the people that you have followed and shared and their stories and said, let me go deeper into this because as someone who was not involved, I want to know, yeah. I want to be able to back up stories with your, or hearing about people and with personal stories that I've heard and experienced using your podcast. Wow. See, it's like that kind of stuff. Like I literally don't even think, I, I feel like people are like, oh, it's Sunday. I will listen to this while I do the dishes and then it's over. <laughs> and then they're like, okay, we'll just wait till next Sunday. But like, you're like, I'm referencing this in conversations. And I know that people are like, oh, I sent so-and-so this episode. Do you have any other episodes about this? Because I'm, you know, I'm a couple episodes behind. So what episodes do you have on this? And even on TikTok now, like there's so many people who have followed me recently who are asking questions to things I've already answered, but I'm so happy to answer it again because I have all these other people who are active eyes who are watching. And I don't want to be like, just search my name and go back two years. Like, I'm like, okay, I haven't talked about this for a year and a half. Let's talk about this. Let's bring this back to the forefront. And it has created more conversations and more comments. I've had people go, oh my God, I didn't even realize that this was this. I'm literally quitting tonight. Like Mm. people are like, I just wanted to let you know first, I quit yesterday. And I'm just like, whoa. And I can't get to every message and I can't get to every email, but I really try. It is just, it's this really incredible thing. Mm -hmm. It seems like for me to not talk about the intersectionality of other issues that pertain to high demand control and MLMs and things like that's a disservice to my listeners. Because I want people who listen to my show and know what's going on when they get into a situation like, oh, I went to this thing this weekend and it was super creepy. And there were so many red flags. I was just like, I had your voice in my head going, oh, I don't know. That sounds like a scam. (laughs) Yeah. Even if it's not a scam, go into something with a healthy dose of skepticism. Yeah. Fact check. Ask questions. If you're getting pushback, if people are like, how dare you not trust me? How dare you not believe what I'm saying? Like, that's a red flag. It's so not difficult to be like, thank you so much for the concern. Let me show you so I can put your mind at ease so that you can support this or buy this or donate to this or whatever it is. Giving people the information is so important. Also, the other thing that drives me crazy when people are like, it's not my place to educate you. And I'm like, we can take that stance in the comments or we can help somebody and say, Hmm. hey, it's a ton, but I would start here. My husband's in the military and I'm a part of a couple military groups on Facebook. And there was a couple months ago, someone honestly was asking the question said, look, I'm at a standstill with my income. I can't be a part of a job if I have to pay for childcare because that's just not going to work. I want something from home. And I know that MLMs provide that. Can you give me examples of MLMs? I think she was basically asking for examples of people who've been in one that were successful. And a couple of the comments were really positive. Like, this is the one I'm a part of. Join me. Some of them were super negative. Like, how dare you join an MLM? Never do it. You're not going to make money. It's going to be a scam. And then I was like, I normally might have been on the side of no MLMs, but I came into it, immediately went, hey, I was not part of one. But this podcast called Life After MLM is really good if you're questioning, if you have any sort of like, is this good? Is this bad? Whether or not you view MLMs in a negative or positive light, please 
go look at this podcast. It's a great resource and it's coming from someone who went through it personally. And I don't know if they looked at it. I don't even know if anybody else on the Facebook group looked at it, but 19 people liked my comment. And it meant a lot to me that I could share a resource knowing that it was coming from someone who dealt with it personally. It wasn't someone reading an article going MLMs are bad because of the statistics. You were a part of one, two, I think, if I remember. Three. Three. (laughs) And you not only used your platform to say, this is what I went through. I want to help other people, but you use your platform to give my voice and people like my voice an opportunity to share. And I was like, if I can even just put it out there, Hopefully one person was like, oh, that looks like an interesting podcast and saved it and might listen to an episode. But things like that, if you start continuing to have these conversations and sharing stories like mine, which I so appreciate, more people will be able to have those conversations without feeling like they're the only one. Right. Thank you for sharing the link. (laughs) Thank you to the 19 of you who liked it. You're the real one. (laughs) Maybe somebody's listening to this episode right now going, oh, my God. That's how I felt. I was one of the 19. Yeah. That's the cool thing too, right? It's such an amazing living, breathing show. It is dictated by what people want to listen to. It is dictated by what is happening in the world. Mm. It is dictated by the people, the experts that reach out to me that I didn't even know exist that say, I want to add something to this. Yeah. I can bring people on and go, oh my gosh, I just had the most incredible conversation with somebody who (laughs) I would have never talked to in a million years had it not been for like their partner listening and saying, you need to do this or whatever. I've had so many cool guests just because of that alone. Mm. It really is the coolest job I've ever had. (laughs) And I just, I have to say thank you to everybody who listens and everybody who interacts and who everybody who's been here even for one day who's allowed me to get to live a dream I didn't even know existed because podcasting wasn't a thing when I was (laughs) trying to figure out what I wanted to be yeah and it's just it's just really cool and I just I appreciate you so much for having this conversation for opening up some LGBTQ talk and we've had LGBTQ episodes before but to open up and bring asexuals into the conversation yeah and to educate people on that as well Sam you're so cool I'm glad I can represent. Totally. I know. It's amazing. It's just a really cool thing. My husband said, you're doing the podcast. So he always does a podcast with a soccer team and he always puts this USA flag up. So he was like, you got to have this one in sight so that it's, this is the asexual flag. You got your ace flag. Nice. It's so off topic, but from what we were just talking about, but I had one story I really want to put out there, which is if anyone personally is either listening, if they're younger or older, having had something experienced like this to show the extent of the hypocrisy, (laughs) I just found out three weeks ago and I've been married to my husband for almost five years and we've been together since 2010. So 13, (laughs) I just found out that Despite his parents and my parents going to the same church and all four of them growing up Christians, my in-laws, my husband's parents, did not wait until they got married to have sex. And I did not know that until three weeks ago. And he did not know that until two months ago. Wow. And my mind was blown when he told me because I thought they weren't necessarily saying, how dare you, you should not be having sex. 
but both of our parents were in this aspect of this is the most important thing you need to be doing this you know it's ultimately the best thing for you as a christian to save yourself and finding out as an adult that they did not wait to have sex before they were married (laughs) and they had it and i was like this is blowing my mind there's so much hypocrisy (laughs) and I'm not close enough with them to have that personal conversation, but I told my husband, I was like, you got to find out some details because for so many people, I think, you know, parents represent this like ultimate, like the people you look up to and the people that are, you know, responsible for you, but they also are leading your life and are examples for you. And again, it's not necessarily a problem, but to have that view of your own children, if you didn't follow that honesty, not being shared was just... And I know there are a lot of people out there, but I think ultimately when you can share your own personal story with your children, it might be a little scary. It might be embarrassing, but ultimately I think kids look up to to parents so much. If you can be honest without it being uncomfortable, like you can say, I'm uncomfortable, but I'm going to get through this because honesty is really the best. I ultimately think we will start shifting the mindset of purity culture when we can be honest. And so I just wanted to share that. I'd written it as a note and it hadn't really come up, but I was like, ah, I got to share that. It's a great point. And then my last point, which goes with what you said as well, is if we're not having these conversations with our children as uncomfortable as they could be, they don't have to be uncomfortable. We make them uncomfortable. First yes, of all. absolutely. They don't have to be uncomfortable, but as uncomfortable as they are, would you rather your child learn about it by Googling it? Because that's going to come with pictures and videos and all kinds of unsafe things that they aren't expecting either when they Google, what is this? And then they get pictures, right? So let's have these conversations. Let's think, should I be the one that tells my kid about STDs or should Google be the one that tells my kid about that? Should I be the one that answers how babies are made or where babies come out or should Google do that? Because you're not always going to get a great search result on Google. No. And the first time I saw a penis was when I was 23, Googling it before I got married because I had no idea. How terrifying. That that wasn't an image in a textbook. Yeah, no. I think the first picture I saw was like a pencil drawing, like, you know, what is happening to my body book that was left on my bed? I was like, oh, that's where it goes. That's a cross section I didn't think I'd ever see. Okay. Thanks, mom? (laughs) Question mark. Yeah. So let's remember that if it's not a weird, awkward book left on your bed, it's going to be Google. And so let's have these conversations. Let's have these conversations with our children. Yes. No matter how uncomfortable it is, because I just, I would rather my kid learned it from me than Instagram or something. Yes. You know what I mean? Like gross. Yep. So let's do some rapid fire questions about purity culture. Sure. Give me a word that encompasses how you feel about purity culture. Disgusting. Give me a warning to some parents who are maybe going down this route with their kids and are like, purity culture is the best for my kids. Whether or not that's how you feel, and particularly if it comes and it stems from religious belief, ultimately you still need to have a conversation about the basic functions of sex, the basic responsibilities and consequences of sex, because whether or not you personally feel that way, your kid is another human being and they have their own thoughts, they have their own life, and ultimately the conversation should come from you and you can try to instill as much of your religious belief as possible, but the basic conversation needs to happen. Yeah. What is the worst MLM in your opinion? I actually had, I knew you were going to ask at least that rapid fire question. And I thought about it. I think it's young life. 
Oh, Young Living. That's my opinion. Or the Young Living. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. They're gross. I don't like them either. Hardest lesson that you learned in purity culture? I think ultimately that, well, negative, <laughs> negative lesson, positive lesson. The negative lesson was that most people in my life only valued me for my sex and for what I could give to a future human. Positive lesson yeah. was how much I could still come away from all of that I dealt with and still be the human that I am. Yeah. And despite all of the problems that I experienced and the pressures I felt. Yeah. I love that. I love your positive takeaway. I think that's great. I just, I want to say thank you again. This was just so fun. And yeah, just really appreciate this conversation. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm so grateful to be able to tell my story but ultimately as like you pointed out as a fan to be able to meet you anybody listening she's just as real as you seem she's not putting on a facade she is exactly who she is and it's amazing so I want to put that out there (laughs) thank you I was like I don't even know how to put on a facade (laughs) (laughs) I mean at this point I mean I'm you know I'm not I haven't even experienced as much you know particularly in like you were talking about with the MLMs and cults but you know to get to that point, I think you'd have to be really fake to be putting on Posada at this point. You know, yeah. you've done, I think, such a good job of coming and using this platform for good and showing the honesty that you share as much honesty out as you're letting other people do. So, Thank you for saying that. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. And follow us on social media at Life After MLM Podcast and my advocacy at The Real Roberta Blevins. You can find all of the links to the social accounts in our show notes. And if you just listened to that incredible story and you thought, oh my God, I have a story just like that that needs to be told, hit me up, therealrobertablevins at gmail.com. I would love to have you on the show to share your story and start your journey in life after MLM. See you next time, Hans. Thank you.